just just to break the ice uh uh to get started I, I just wanted to just take this opportunity to um uh, like thank you for the birthday cake that the year you made for me uh <laughs> the you don't stop thanking me about it <laughs> of course i don't i don't i'll never stop thanking you about it because uh you know like when you're an international when you make this decision to sort of like go abroad and work away from family people sometimes don't and they understand how much it means you probably it means you're sacrificing every family event you're missing out on uh, on most uh, on, on most things and you have to spend some days like your birthday probably by yourself in today's episode on the medtech 101 podcast i have one of my previous were colleagues uh, who was really useful and helpful uh, during my time at JNJ uh, and uh, she she has a master's degree uh, from Lancaster University where she also did an undergrad in biology and a master's degree in biomedicine and she worked for four years at JNJ which is Johnson & Johnson particularly this where she was she started she, was, she moved around a bit but i think spent the most time in in the mdr project where we're both working together and um, what made it really interesting and why i brought aaron today aaron summons is because aaron worked as a sort of like what we call an sme which is basically a subject matter subject matter expert for um, risk management uh, of medical devices. And uh, um, I thought it would be really interesting to bring it onto the uh, podcast. So yeah, welcome, 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 Aaron. Welcome to the Meta 101 podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rodney. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, just, just to break the ice uh, uh, to get started, uh, I just wanted to just take this opportunity to uh, like thank you for the birthday cake that the year you made for me uh, <laughs> the... you don't stop thanking me about it <laughs> of course i don't i don't i'll never stop thanking you about it because uh you know like when you're an international when you make this decision to sort of like go abroad and work away from family people sometimes don't under understand how much it means you probably it means you're sacrificing every family event you're missing out on uh, on most uh, on, on most things and you have to spend some days like your birthday probably by yourself but um but but i know aaron was was kind of nice and you know you, you baked a, a cake and you know invited me over to yours whereas i had the dinner with with your family and uh yeah and yeah so that was nice so I can't I can't complain about that. So yeah, thank you very much, Erin. That's good. <laughs> I mean, we did make you play the most probably British board game, um, which to be fair gave you a very unfair and disadvantage, <laughs> and we just wiped the floor. With you. Of course, it was a uh, it was uh, and for the audience just to explain, it was a game, um, sort of like where I had to name brands like you know like normal yeah. <laughs> normal brands like you know like food food brands that you get in a typical english uh, kitchen and uh, i struggled i struggled yeah, with most of sorry. them I, I could name only like a handful or something like that but that was nicer i mean like you did pretty well you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i spent uh well, at that time i spent i said um 
uh, five years at that time, like here. So, so yeah, I was kind of still getting onto my feet. But um, yeah, so yeah, and uh, I mean, the reason the reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast, Aaron, is because I know like you're really good at explaining things, and uh, that made a huge difference uh, with my time or with the time I spent uh, when we're working together. But um, and I, but I knew you'd be the best person to be able to explain this to to people because I thought to myself, there's some epi- there's, there's some there's some episodes <laughs> that I do by myself, and uh, I I sort of like how do I say I come uh, short in some sense in some areas, and in those areas, if I can get someone to come on and talk about it, uh, I always do that. And uh, there's a in in today since we sort of like focusing on risk management of medical devices to to just sort of enlighten people essentially from a sort of like a, um, you know, a, a layman terms approach, you know, this, and I always say this is why I called uh, this uh, podcast 101 and you're not going to get anything called 101 with big words on it. So, um, yeah. So like, I mean, what can I even start with the classif- risk classifications? Because I know I did an episode earlier on how on why we classify um, medical devices class one, class two, and class three. Like particularly in the US, although in Europe we've got like a class two A and two B subdivision. Um, but um, yeah, uh, how like what would you say particularly about you know your your time in terms of what you've learned? all the way to this point um, where you now sort of like, you know, you, you pretty much like the go-to person for risk management in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Rodney. Um, yeah, gosh, everything I've learned. It was a very steep learning curve. I came into the MDR project um, when they'd already completed at least one tech file and were halfway through another tech file. Um, my background in biomedicine and biological sciences was very useful because risk management is all about how the product's going to interact with the human body. Is it safe to interact with the human body for its purposes? Is it fit for purpose? Um, so, yeah, <laughs> a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> um, thankfully, uh, yeah, the EU MDR, regu- the medical device regulation is very stringent lays out kind of everything you need to reach like sort of standards wise uh, to be able to um, sell your product in the EU market safely and fit for human use Um, I think probably the biggest thing I learned was kind of the relationship between um, classification of risk and harm levels and severity levels what's the difference between those uh, probability of like incidences occurring so looking at complaints data and things like that to give an overall risk score to a product in its particular usage Um, and then that would obviously be then audited reviewed um, so that all that information is correct we'd have input from toxicologists we'd have inputs from all the specialized uh, areas medical affairs medical um yeah, all the right people basically to <laughs> say, yeah, this is the this looks like the right risk level for what we've got. Um, so I'd be doing that, building that from the ground up, and then um, from my own expertise, and then sending it out to people who could also corroborate that. 
Nice. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned some um, sort of like words, which I think maybe might be good to, ex- to expand on. Uh, but uh, you mentioned a, te- a technical yeah. file, like uh, Aaron, for people who don't know what a technical file is, mm-hmm. it's like... Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's basically what we what what we're doing is because there were hundreds of um, medical devices. So, for instance, um, like if you take a pen, for instance, because the pen is made of many things, and you basically you would have to classify certain things differently, uh, even though they work together. And then the overall classification is usually the highest item uh, on on that particular component. So. Um, like a JNJ, like how how big was the average technical file? Like how many products were were, were in there? Um, well, for depicting these um, in the site that we were dealing with, just bone cement, um, you'd get the I think the biggest tech file um, was probably the one I didn't work on. Actually, the one that came before me with all the instrumentation. <laughs> <laughs> So, so um, that but was the ones good. we worked on, you know, you'd get 15, <laughs> 15 to 20 items um, in a tech yeah. file. Um, yes. Yeah, because they'd all, like, obviously it comes under one category, but within that category, like you said, there's lots of different products. True. And, uh, but would you, like, and just out of curiosity, would you say that, you know, obviously, you know, having a biological, um, sort of like bio biological sciences background, essentially, because it's biology and biomedicine, like how much did that help you in terms of like learn how to you know classify or understand certain risk reports you got is this something you would have been able to do without Mm. this background in university you think or you needed this kind of specific knowledge yeah I think it would have been a lot harder because the the harms um that you're assigning to um a particular risk and the way you do it is you kind of imagine everything that could go wrong. Yes. Record that down. And then what would be the outcome harm in a patient? Um, the harms that could happen um, from the things that could go wrong, you kind of do need to have that understanding of the human body and how things interact with one another to know what best, what is the best harm to assign to that particular risk. Um, so say, for example, if um, a product is in danger of causing a blood clot, yeah. um, the risks from that blood clot would be something like a stroke or an embolism. Um, and that's because, you know, if you know the human body, you know that blood clots can move throughout the, bu- throughout the blood vessels. You know, they can get to places where they shouldn't. You know, they can cut off oxygen to where they shouldn't cut off oxygen um, and cause problems in that way. So, yeah, I think... If I didn't have the background in uh, biomedicine, biological sciences, I think it would have been a lot harder to determine harms um, that could happen in a patient. True, true. Yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, it's 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 one of those degrees that you do in university, and you never know where where you're gonna get a job actually using it. And when and when you finally get the job actually using your degree, it kind of pays off a lot um, because it's that specific. But um, I mean, it's it's interesting, Erin, that you say that. But you know, for many people out there, are probably thinking like, you know, uh, are these medical devices safe, and um, what do we take into consideration, um, sort of like when we develop 
these medical devices like uh, from a risk management point of view since i know you mentioned the the table of you know the sort of like the severity of or how bad it is versus the probability or the the chances of that happening like like oh, how like how would you say we 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 do the, we we take this approach to make sure that the medical device is safe like what do we do when we have the science? We know, okay, we have the science that says it might work. Um, we have a product that's now actually like here, like that we can actually hold that's tangible. But before we put it into the market, like what risk management sort of goes on there and how and what makes it hard to and what makes it good, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, this is where I think the strength of the EU medical device regulation really lies, because um, before there was the medical device directive, it didn't have as stringent standards of safety. That's why you ended up with the problems of um, that was in the news a while back of industrial grade silicon being implanted into women and that obviously causing pro big problems for those women um, in a lot of ways. Um, so. Yeah, the medical device regulation being born out of that was really good because it meant the standards was were a lot higher. Um, so you know, in even when we were renew like looking at a tech a technical file that already existed, so products that were already on the market, we were having to meet new standards of safety, um, testing them thoroughly. So we'd send samples off to the United States, for example get them tested in labs for their safety they had to reach a certain uh, criteria a certain level and um, before we could deem them safe and um, for new products that would look like trials clinical trials and um, it would look like the same sort of toxicology testing that you would do on a product that already exists on the market and um, so there's lots of fail safe like leveling throughout risk management it's a kind of a building upon the previous testing that you've done and you always scale up so you never just stick it in the human to begin with and then <laughs> see what happens that would be the worst idea you kind of scale it up so you do your your tests on the actual product itself and you use the standards that have been provided to you by the regulation and then you bring that up you might use an animal model um, and then you bring that up and you might use a trial model um, all these things are trying to help bring the product to market in the safest way possible for uh, human use. Um, and it's good if you already have a similar product on the market, because then you can do uh, cross product comparisons yes. as well. So it's just kind of a building on effect of uh, testing um, against the risks and mitigating makes sense so so for instance um if you're going to give an example let's say okay we can since we're working on uh, bone cement um which basically for those people who don't know bone cement is um it's a medical device uh which is it's not really cement that's used to build your house but it's uh, basically uh, a polymer um that they inject into the bone and it holds the metal implants that you get either in your hip or in your spine or anywhere in your body so that that metal uh, that's replacing a joint basically stays in place so let's say just for one example if we wanted to make sure that um okay fine the 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 because this this 
bone cement sometimes comes with antibiotics, right, which is medication to fight off bacteria and to prevent inf infections. If you wanted to make sure that this is safe for people to use without sort of like getting an overdose of this uh, antibiotic in people's bodies, like how would you go about that? Like, you know? Yeah. Um, so thinking through um, medical devices that administer medication like antibiotics, um, you would typically look at something called elution testing. Um, which is basically where you test how much antibiotic comes out of the product at any one time over a certain time period. Um, and again, there's standards that say, you know, you cannot, can't, you can't have above this amount in this amount of time, but also you need it to be effective. So you can't have too little of it, of this amount of antibiotic coming out. Um, otherwise it's not going to do anything or help in any way. Um, so yeah, there's like specific tests that are set up for each characteristic. So the thing that you want the product to do in a human, yeah. um, which you know all about, you did the requirements yes. and traceability <laughs> matrices. Yeah. So <laughs> what 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 are we requiring? So basically, um, just to add on to that, I I worked on this big document called uh, the RTM, which basically means requirements traceability matrix, and here. We basically broke down everything into all the user needs and then uh, we broke it down into the different stages of sort of like the um, basically design control cycle for medical devices. So there'll be like inputs, outputs, you know, uh, certain things that you want and how you test to get to that point. And then you need to have documents to support each uh, human need. And we're in places where we didn't have this documentation, it meant that we had to do we had to do new testing essentially to get to that level. Um, so yeah, it kind of worked hand in hand with Aaron. Uh, but um, I think the um, there's even a bigger document that Aaron was working on that also has to do with risk, and this is the DFMEA. Uh, if that's if I've even got the acronym correctly, but um, I, how long did that take you to? To, to type Aaron because that was a lot bigger than the RTM yeah it was big documents I mean <laughs> it went from when we did it it went from the DFMEA to the DFMCA to then the DHA so it completely changed <laughs> and then we had introduced a new document called the risk assessment summary which was that document plus extra information so nice. yeah I would say towards the end I got pretty quick at it actually um <laughs> maybe if i this is a problem when you're doing lots of jobs at the same time yes. um probably maybe th three four weeks to get it in reviewed amended reviewed and then ready <laughs> to to go through the approval process. And uh, just to add on to that, the approval process at um, at Depew, uh, where, where we were, because our site was in Blackpool, in La in Lancashire, uh, which is just north of Manchester for people who are, who are outside the UK, was that document would have to be reviewed by people in the US, in Switzerland, some people in Leeds. And yeah, so it was like maybe eight signatures required for a document. Uh which was probably the most annoying part of any process because you would basically you'd have to get eight people to agree on 
like on one document and other people are so picky. Some people might say, oh, I don't want this because you have to change this. Maybe you put a full stop in the wrong place and and then maybe then you'd have to go around again. But um, as, we, as, 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 as I got late, well, as I got used to my job and later on actually reviewed the document and I realized for things like maybe a full stop or things like that, there was no need to resend it around again. But, you know, I learned that a couple of months too late, I think, and I should have done that earlier. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed yeah. the, the, the Yeah, stuff. I mean, it, it, it helps, doesn't yeah. it? It really does. Because, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about you, Rodney, but, I mean, just the constant reminder yeah. that these documents are going to be reviewed by people who from the outside yeah. and you know your company's reputations always on the line of isn't course it? <laughs> of course and uh, uh and the jnj like the amount of work we we did there to maintain that level of quality was uh was quite was quite high and we had tight deadlines and uh um we had a uh, like a lovely project manager who was really like into his dates and stuff so um like everyone was always working everyone was under uh pressure to try to get it through because i think Everyone was trying to get the approval in a like five year period, but this takes time. If you've been, if you're if you're such a huge company because you got hundreds and hundreds essentially of documents that you know that have to be <laughs> that have to be done and and everything. And obviously with the new mm-hmm. with the new with the new um, sort of like deadlines that the government was putting in place, most people most companies were struggling, and because of that, the, I think the government ended up doing an, uh, an extension of the deadline as well to buy more time yeah. for for companies otherwise would be in a position where there's literally no medical devices available in the market anymore because most people have not met that approval process but um i mean yeah but um but yeah Aaron, that's that's really nice in terms of like just going through in general how how the basic approach of risk management is but uh, i mean like but what 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 did you enjoy the most about it and sort of like what did you not like the most about it? Like it just if you're speaking to young, younger people, maybe student university, probably thinking that, you know, like maybe this is a potential path or career path I would like to take. Um, what would be your set of pros and cons? Pros and cons about the job. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the pros is the impact that your work's having even if you know your name's never going to be on anything you know you've helped some like a product stay on the market which means a product's still in use it is available useful to people um so in our case in to pew bone cement that bone cement was going to stay on the market it was going to be safe for people um like it's it's all very much like behind the scenes work so that makes the product what it is um safe for people to use and actually function well um so i feel like yeah i mean the con is if if you want the the glory <laughs> you're not going to get that <laughs> but you're going to get the satisfaction at the end of the day that your product is safe it works um and yeah it's going to help a lot of people and would you would you say uh, the job security is um, is is better, uh, or even the job flexibility that you had, or was that only after mm. that? I uh, was was that only the job flexibility you had, Aaron? Because I remember you you worked most most of the year remotely, um, and you'd come into the office from time to time. 
like was that only possible because we already had reports that were already done or that's basically sort of like the norm in the industry like what do you think um i think since covid it's definitely become more normal for um flexibility um with working hours and working locations um i think it's opened up a lot more scope and opportunity for people to be employed um in a completely different location um but work from home and not have to move and uproot family life and things like that um so that flexibility came about uh, through that i had to demonstrate I could be trusted to work well at home, um, which I was fine with. I think that's, you know, fair enough to ask of your employees yeah, to, <laughs> to make sure that they are trustworthy and getting the work done. Um, I actually found, well, post-COVID, <laughs> when I came into the office, I was often more distracted because I was trying to catch up with everyone. <laughs> so I worked better at home. <laughs> of course. And uh... But... Um, yeah, I mean, that I think, yeah, now, like I say, I think there is a scope to for employees to be more flexible, particularly if you are doing more regulatory-based work um, and you're not actually in the labs. I think if I was still in my previous position um, working in new product development, yeah. I would have had to be in the labs, <laughs> so I would have had to be coming in. But True. as it was, I got switched just before COVID. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just a quick question, which I've not been able to answer myself. Would you say, like, the job we were doing, was it more to do with reg because i know we're in the same team in um in basically in in r&d which is research and development in the company but we're working on this mdr project which is the medical device regulation project to to get all this uh bone cements approved in time for for johnson johnson on the mar- available on the market but would you say that the job we're doing was was would you say that was more regulatory affairs or was that still um R&D how how would you split it because I've always seen myself as if like I was like sort of like stuck in the middle between those two yeah I it was interesting actually because um I was having a conversation uh with our manager about this before I left um and he kind of referred to it as more regulatory work but I think if you didn't have the technical and practical knowledge of a scientist um like for yourself, an engineer, for me, a biomedical scientist, then I don't think you'd be as effective in the particular areas that we were working in. So I don't think if you just specialize in regulatory affairs that you'd you'd be particularly good at risk management, but you had to understand regulation enough that you could apply those standards um, to the work that you're doing. So yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting mix of both. You have to have a foot in both worlds. Um, but I mean, I would still go to regulatory affairs on regular occasions just to, you know, clarify something. Regulatory affairs would come to me to clarify something. So you know, it's all <laughs> it's all kind of interrelated working. Yeah, because <laughs> anyways, no, definitely, I, I I agree with that because it was the complexity of the work involved. You have to cover everything from packaging, um, like labeling, like the symbols that go on those labels, mm. what regulatory things. And then you got other people, maybe in production, in engineering, people you had to communicate to actually make sure that the work that we have in our uh, specifications actually was still accurate. So it was like a huge network. But I also felt like it was easier to do this job because um, the nice thing about working um, for for JNJ or at JNJ was 
the infrastructure the company had, so the systems we had in place, you know, the the technology, just the infrastructure um, made work quite possible. Because I remember I also worked, uh, I think, a week um, from home. So I flew home and I was able to do my work there and everything was okay because of that infrastructure we had in place. And so that that made it quite um, um, an enjoyable um, experience. And... um, and yeah, so sort of like coming towards like um, uh, the, the the end uh, of this, uh, Aaron. Um, I mean, like, what would you say is your thoughts, like, you know, like on the future uh, in in risk management? Like, is there anything that's coming up that the rest of the world still needs to know? Uh, should people be more confident in medical devices, or people, or should people be paranoid? Uh, like, what what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like often when it comes to medical devices or anything in the vaguely medical world, there is a lot of cynicism and skepticism around safety of products. And I think people should definitely feel safe in safe hands, you know, particularly with, um, you know, uh, agent like so the European Union having their specific standards, uh, the FDA, so... Um, in America and like the Aust- Australia and Japan have got their own versions you know yes. each kind of area in the world has got strict standards and regulations that companies have to meet yes. um, and that's trying to keep people as safe as possible so I think yeah at least from my experience you know we have to you know look at the complaints that we're getting look at the uh, post-market surveillance that the company's doing all of this feeds into an ongoing risk assessment it's not just one and done like you don't just do your risk assessment and that's it (laughs) you have to review it every single year (laughs) so it's an ongoing process um which is to try and keep people as safe as possible and for the products to work as best as possible nice and so i think probably Mm. yeah i'd i'd really love people to feel more comfortable with and things and you know get informed and uh yeah just (laughs) coming back to other things that you mentioned uh, which i took note of which i thought maybe i might as well just ask you now um just for the audience just to give clarity because one of the words you mentioned was like (laughs) audits and uh, basically audits are people Mm -hmm. who are sort of like essentially the the police officers who go around from company to company Mm -hmm. literally terrifying a lot of managers and everyone uh, when when there's an audit, everyone is sweating, everyone is tense. You know, um, like if you wanna if you wanna see how how like how well someone can handle the stress, just wait for audit week. I think it reviews a lot about people's personalities. But um, yeah, Aaron, would you would would you say that um, you know, like coming into this industry, um, like uh, you have that sort of like exit opportunity to also become an auditor of yourself and work for but in the UK to be the BSI, which is the British Standards Institute, I think. And then in or in the US for the FDA. I know the guys are paid really well there. So if, if someone is listening and they care about money, maybe that's the route to take as well. Because some sometimes people will be thinking <laughs> like, okay, I want to make money, but um where can I make money in this industry? And I think maybe being an auditor seems to be a nice um uh, job if you love traveling because you'll be going from company to company and you know, they're fairly sort of like well in demand because I feel like what's been happening 
the auditors have not been keeping up to date with the latest technology. So sometimes they always constantly needing the sort of like uh, experts on a particular technology, essentially, because what happens is if a company invents a new product and there's, and they bring an auditor who doesn't even know anything about the technology, they can't, they're not really in a position to actually audit the, the, um, the company. So it's like the auditors always, it's, it's a, it's, it's a field where you, you'll be exposed to, um, the latest technology essentially like happening in the industry. So, so yeah, but what, what would you say, uh, what, what would be your exit options? You know, if, if you wanted to move away from, um, you know, risk management stuff. Yeah, I think, um, my exit, I mean, auditing <laughs> is an option. I mean, at the moment, obviously I'm on maternity leave, so I'm currently weighing up. Yes go back to work not back to work um could I do part-time yeah. could I do consultancy I don't know um but yeah I don't know I've always enjoyed um the idea of like medical writing as well uh auditing probably could be I mean like you say I think it's just helpful for auditors to have some degree of knowledge or background that is applicable to the medical devices they're looking at because it will help them do a better job of auditing. It means the companies they're dealing with don't get so frustrated with um, some of the questions they ask, <laughs> um, which seem to them very basic level, but they're forgetting that, you know, auditors have got to audit lots of different companies with lots of different types of products. Um, so a little bit of grace on both sides, I think, is needed. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't have a particular exit strategy. I think the thing I... Mm. have with work is if it's something I enjoy and I know I can go do a good job at it you know I will do my best and I think that's yeah. kind of the approach I've had to yeah the jobs I've had before and um, just if I enjoy it if I'm good at it then I'm gonna be fine <laughs> true and uh since I, I, I wasn't gonna mention it but since you mentioned that you're maternity leave and a few weeks ago, um, I I had uh, uh, like a CEO on the on the podcast called Samantha Moore, uh, and she was talking about some of the difficulties like women face, like you know, like that position where you have to ask yourself, do you choose having uh, a career or you choose having children? Uh, like, uh, have you found yourself in any sort of like position where you felt like you have to either choose to be a mom or uh, or or a professional person? Yeah, I think there is always that pressure um, and the expectation that you would, will do both. Um, I think that's more the pressure that you can feel um, is that you must be the best mum you can be, but you also must work, you know, full time. Um, <laughs> which, if anyone is a mum out there, knows that that is a pretty hard task to do. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I think I'm very thankful that my personality isn't too affected by, uh, people's expectations of me. Um, so I'm just really enjoying where I'm at at this moment in life, taking nice. each, mo each day as it comes. Um, <laughs> you know, I've got a do it's, it is work, but it's a different kind of work. I'm keeping a tiny human alive. So of <laughs> yeah, um, I'm and not feeling too pressured in either way i think good. which is good good 
good. That's that's good to to hear because I think that's uh, a lot of uh, advancements that has happened there that to put certain things in place, you know, from a legal point of view, and just also just general public um, opinion and perception of like you know um, what women used to experience a long time ago more than and and how things have basically improved and and to the point we at today. But um, yeah, that that was that was um, um, very insightful, Aaron. I am really grateful, um, you know, for the time you you took to be on the podcast and away from your maternity leave, and you know, with your baby sleeping. I hope we didn't wake your baby up. Otherwise, it's going to be a no, long night for you. She stayed asleep. <laughs> so that's good. That's good. And uh, yeah, um, I'll definitely. I'm definitely grateful to have had some of your time on the podcast so so yeah thank you very much no thanks for having me and i i hope it's been clear <laughs> yeah i'm sure it's 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 clear and uh, i'm sure a lot of people will will definitely take a bit of value just in a brief introduction of to what life uh as as a risk management um, sort of like subject matter expert means and also um, what we do in place to make sure that the medical devices people see on the on the market are safe and they don't harm them, and um, and we're not just producing things and just thinking about the profits. So it's things that it's responsibility that we have to to, to have uh, um, as, as as we as we create these products. So yeah, I'm sure that has reassured a lot of people. So yeah, <laughs> thanks. No worries. Take care. Thanks for having me, Rodney.